pray. Well, Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to come tonight and hear from you. We thank you for enlightening the eyes of our understanding, God, so that we might see ourselves as we really are, that we might know experientially the hope of our calling, God, of what it means to be in Christ and what it means for Christ to be in us, God. Father, we just take a moment today to just connect with the truth. We are seated in heavenly places right at this moment. Our physical senses do not reveal our true identity. We cannot go and look in the mirror right now and assess who we are by our reflection staring back at us, God. No, the reality of who we are transcends the physical realm. And while we are physical beings, Father, dwelling in this seen realm right now, in this physical dimension, Father, we are also your offspring, joined to you in Christ, seated right now at the right hand of the Father, in the throne room, surrounded by the angels that cry, holy, holy, holy. We dwell in this place eternally, God. Not because of something we've done, not because we are righteous, not because we are perfect in and of ourselves, God, but because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so we just, we remind ourselves of the truth tonight, God, even before we jump into the teaching, God, even before we hear one scripture tonight, Father, read from the Bible, we just remind ourselves that we are complete in Christ. We are perfect in Christ. We are holy. We are righteous. We are sinless in him, God. And that is a reality that we cannot perceive with our physical senses, God. It is a reality that we hear in the gospel. It is a reality that we perceive with our spiritual senses. And so I just release that prayer again tonight, God. I declare that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, Father, and we know the hope of our calling. We can see who we are in Christ, Father. And I just declare, even as tonight... The lesson is taught, Father, as as we dive into your word and we hear from you, Father, that the veil is the illusion, Father, the veil of separation from you is being lifted and destroyed, God, in our own consciousness, God, so that we will not be conscious of an identity that no longer exists. But, Father, we will live in the awakened state, in the place of revelation and live out of our true identity, God which is multidimensional. So I just release your message tonight, God. I release your words. I just offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to you. That's my reasonable service, God, just to be your, your animated vessel filled with your spirit. And so I just say, think through my mind, speak through my words, fill this message, God, with your presence. I just release 
truth and breakthrough and revelation, God, in the knowledge of you tonight. And I thank you that this is the right message that the listener needs right now. So whatever that means, Father, for every person, I thank you that that's yours to accomplish. And so we just receive it and we call it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I feel like i got to do a little bit of a wake-up prayer before we even get started. I, uh, I always say that I'm on the uh, assignment to eradicate the illusion of separation from God out of the body of Christ. Because even though we, man, we've memorized scripture, we go to Bible studies, we go to church, we worship, we fast, we pray, we tithe, we, we do all of these Christian activities, the reality is that for the majority of believers, we live a large percentage of our lives under the illusion that we are separated from God. And we say the scriptures, things like, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, or Christ in you, the hope of glory, or the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in me, or you know, numerous others, he that is joined to the spirit is one spirit with him. And we say these scriptures, we've, we've learned these scriptures, but we aren't necessarily experiencing those scriptures as an identity that we live in 24 seven. It's like this revelation we visit occasionally. For some of us, we never visit it. For some of us, we go to worship and we're trying to, you know, bombard ourselves in, in worship to get into, get into heaven, enter into his courts with praise, into his gates with thanksgiving, and we're still operating out of this old covenant perspective, trying to get into the holy of holies, into God's presence. And the truth is you are the temple, that you are the holy of holies, that you are not trying to uh, work yourself into uh, any closer relationship with God than you already have because he's wearing your skin. And I can say this day in and day out in every single, every single podcast, and it feels like for a lot of us, we're still hearing it for the first time because we haven't renewed our minds. We haven't uh, really integrated this message into our self-image. I better say that again. We haven't integrated our union with God into our own self-image. And the reality of it is the way that we see ourselves is the way that we will experience ourselves. And the way that we experience ourselves, if we are under the illusion that there is an us apart from Jesus, is we will experience a life that is apart from Christ. And in John 15, it talks about, you know, that we are the, we are the branches attached to a vine and that the fruit flows through our connection with Jesus. It flows through our union with him. We are not separated. In fact, it talks about if a branch gets separated from the vine, it's like a, you know, it's like a stick thrown into the fire, meaning it's just like a dead thing. It's just like it's just over here producing nothing. It's just a dead branch. It's only when we are connected to God through our union with him that we are able to actually manifest our true nature. Your true nature is love. Your true nature is peace. Your true nature is his righteousness, his perfection, his goodness, his gentleness, his self-control. These are not traits that you are to cultivate on your own and become a good person so that you are a self-controlled little Jesus. You're like Christ. You're a disciple of Christ who's like Christ. That is a false gospel. It's a self-righteous gospel. And I'm preacher better than y'all saying amen, but that's all right. 
Um, I come out swinging, don't I? I do. I just come right after that juggler of self-righteousness and religion because we are, we are bathed in it. We are marinated in it, even in the church. And even in the, even in the charismatic church, even in the church where we see miracles and we see, uh, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, we still are bathed in the doctrine of separatedness from God. And we, it's sneaky. Self-righteousness is sneaky. See, it's sneaky because it ha- it's, it's this lure. It's this lure to be good. It's a lure to look good. It's a lure to be like God. <laughs> I mean, which honestly is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is, it is, it is so sneaky. And letting go of that illusion means that we have to at a core level at a truly at a subconscious level which is that's a whole nother sermon about how do we do this how do we how do we how do we get the gospel into our brains into our minds at a subconscious level so that it becomes a way of being instead of a way of doing we're not doing christianity we're being in union with jesus this is not a religious activity that we're participating in it is a life that we are experiencing in union with God Almighty himself. And so even just by its very nature, it kind of turns our brain a little bit like, Whoa! you know, because we, we've, we've been programmed. We've been programmed by a fallen world system. We've been programmed by religious systems and, and financial systems and health systems and education systems. And we have a lineage in our own families of, of brokenness and, and their own distorted self-images that they projected onto us. And we, we didn't even know we were learning it wrong. We didn't even know what we were experiencing Growing up wasn't real or true. That's how deceived we actually are. You know, there is a, a lot of times we don't, let me just kind of do a little neuroscience lesson here for a moment. You know, there are, there are two parts of our minds. There is the conscious mind. It's the creative mind. It's the place where we can choose. It's the place of free will. It's where we, we can analytically solve problems and we can learn school information. It's a, it's a conscious part of our mind. But then we also have a subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind, I heard it explained just recently, probably more clearly than I'd ever heard it explained before, that it's, it's like a tape player. Now, for some of you, you're too old to know what tape, I mean, too young to know what tape players are. So maybe I should say a CD recorder or, you know, an, a, a jump drive, right? It's like a, a USB drive that you put in your computer or something, right? I can't even say floppy disks or anything anymore, right? But it's just, meaning it's just playing back whatever was recorded onto it. Your subconscious mind does not have a, a personality. It truly is like a computer. And the way God created our minds, I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me. It may sound like a rabbit trail, but the way God created our minds to function is that our, our subconscious mind is like the, a supercomputer. 
it operates at a million times faster than our conscious mind. It's, it's, it's a incredible processing machine. And what we don't realize is that really from the ages of, from when we're born till we're around seven, we are in a state of learning. See, that the subconscious mind is like a supercomputer, a super learner. And up to about the age of seven, we are in a state of learning that is, that is, that is, if you looked at like your, your EEG, your brain waves, in your ages one through seven, it's in a theta state of learning. And the theta state is where the imagination functions. It's kind of like this dream state. We enter into it every day and morning, every night and every morning as we go from being awake all the way down to being asleep. But this, it's a very suggestible state. And it's just kind of like this open recorder. And the reason why we are like that between zero and seven is because how else, it's, it's, the, it's the most effective way to learn. We even have these things called mirror neurons that actually teach us to just, we just learn by, by looking and mirroring what is around us. And so what that means is that we were programmed with all kinds of information about the way the world works without even being aware that's what was happening. And then even when we get beyond seven <laughs> and we are, we go through the, the regular education system and we go to college and we, we just learn, we learn all kinds of things. We learn about when you're sick, you go to the doctor. We learn that, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to succeed in life, go to college. Like we learn all kinds of interesting ideas about life over the course of our life. For those of us that grew up in church, by the way, maybe we learned the gospel, maybe we didn't. For those that didn't learn and go up in church at all, well, for sure we didn't. But very rarely do I, do I personally run into people who were taught in from zero to seven that their core identity is to live in union with God. For some of us, we don't even hear it. And this may be the first time ever of you hearing the truth that there is no you apart from Christ. The whole concept of having an independent you is anti-Christ. In fact, it is the nature of the enemy who wanted to be like God, independent from God. Independence from God makes you a God. We are vessels. We are branches, meaning that we were always designed to con be containers of God. We are temples. We're containers of spirit, of Holy Spirit. So what am I saying? I'm saying that intellectually now, even as I'm sharing this information, consciously you get it. Consciously you can understand. Intellectually you can understand. Analytically you can understand what I'm saying. Let me just read a couple of scriptures just to kind of bring my point home. From, from, a, from a scriptural standpoint, a lot of times we read the Bible through a filter of being separated from God. 
And when we read the Bible through a filter being separated from God, you know what the Bible does? It condemns us. Because we read it like a legalistic list of to-dos that we never, ever measure up to, by the way. And so we see the things about, you know, no judgment. We see the things about forgiveness. We see the things about patience and kindness. And we see all the scriptures about, you know, all of the good things that we, that, that as believers we are supposed to manifest. And then we look at our lives and say, well, man, I just, you know, I, I yelled at my kids yesterday or I, I flipped off the guy that pulled me off, pull, you know, pulled out in front of me the other day. Or maybe I didn't flip him off, but I sure wanted to flip him off. So I exercised a little self-control. So, wow, I, I'm making progress. I'm making progress in my walk with Jesus because we evaluate our holiness based upon our behavior. And we evaluate who we are based upon how we're acting. And none of that is what the scripture teaches us. Even Jesus in John 14, and I love this, the Passion Translation of John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. Let me read something else in the Mirror Translation. I pulled this out. Today, and let me read this in the mirror translation. Let me go to John 14 there, and let me read it. Let me just read a little bit of it. In verse 1, it says, Set your troubled hearts at ease by letting your belief conclude in God as you rest your confidence in me. I love this. Verse 2, it says, What makes my father's house home is your place in it. If this was not the ultimate conclusion of my mission, why would I even bother to do what I'm about to do if it was not to prepare a place for you? I have come to persuade you of a place of seamless union where you belong. See, the Father's house is your home. And it's not a mansion. Like we're going to go live in the father's physical house that is a, you know, this beautiful like lifestyle of the rich and famous house. No, his house is his body. His house is him. You are in him. The place you belong is in seamless union with him. And the scriptures speak of this over and over and over again. But our filter that we are reading them through causes us to misinterpret the meaning because we are interpreting it through a lens of separation. Are you guys following what I'm saying? Okay. So the goal here is to get this union into our subconscious minds, into a place where our self-image is transformed so that we no longer see ourselves through the illusion of separation, through the distortion of separation, or we no longer see it. By the way, that, that, that separated image comes with a lot of baggage. I mean, because once you kind of are allowed to be separated from God, well, then you get to be a whole lot of other things, don't you? You get to be a procrastinator. You get to be a worrier. You get to be a liar. You get to be all of these things. See, that's who I am. Look. See, I did that and that. Look at who I am. So that, the, but the, but the, the correction, the correction in the lens is union. 
It's not to clean yourself up. It's not to quit lying and to quit behaving in this particular manner or this particular manner. It's not to do this, lose weight. It's not to become a better version of yourself, the best version of yourself. No, it's to become one, recognize that you are one with God, that you are Jesus. The incarnation is now living in you. So, oh, I was going somewhere with that. Let me think about where I was going. Um, it's going somewhere really important. So the, the goal, let me just keep talking. I'm sure I'll get back there. So the goal is to get this union identity programmed into you on the tape player. It, it's to record over the programs that defined who you were, who you learned to be as a result of your upbringing, as a result of your church experience, as a result of your education and your parents and your, you know, divorce and whatever. I mean, all of the things that you've been through in your life, that, 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 is, that does not define you. It defines an illusion of who you have believed that you are because you have not either heard the gospel or you have not integrated the gospel into your self-image at a level that you truly, truly, truly believe it. See, you can say, I believe it, meaning you agree with it. Really what you're saying when you say, I believe it, is I agree with that. I agree that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I agree that the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in me. I agree with these things. I agree Jesus is the Son of God. The cross did actually happen. I agree with these things. I believe these things and I agree with these things. But there is an agreement that we do at a conscious level, believing that we do at a conscious level, and then there is a believing that we do at a subconscious level based upon what what has repetitively been programmed into us or what we unconscious, what unconsciously was programmed into us. Then let me, let me kind of see if I can do this again. It kind of take a little further. You know, when you're learning to drive a car, you know, you really have to consciously think about it when you are first learning to drive a car. You go to driver's ed, they give you the book, you look at, you know, you have to learn the traffic signals. My, my daughter is 13 years old and so she's becoming interested in driving. So she's been asking me a lot of questions lately about is driving hard? You know, mom, how, how do you have to take a test? What kind of test? Yeah, you know, and then you have to parallel park. I was explaining everything you had to do. And she was asking, well, did you pass the test the first time? And I had to like think back and be like, try to remember all those years ago when I was trying to learn to drive. You know, and I, you, you, but you think about it. It was a process. You were nervous going to take your driving test and you're hoping, man, I can hope I can remember all the, the signals and all the things, you know, when you're taking the test. Why? Because it's a, it's new information. It's a new skill. Right? But after a while, when's the last time you thought about really how to drive? No, I mean, it's kind of scary, actually. <laughs> we got a lot of unconscious drivers driving around all over the place. We get behind the wheel, we turn on the car, and we just kind of go. We're daydreaming. We're, you know, we're multitasking. I mean, they, the truth is why? Because it's a, we, we, we recorded it on the tape player. How to drive is on the tape player. And that's the beautiful part about our subconscious minds is that once you've learned it, once you've recorded it, you don't have to record it anymore. And what I'm sharing with you tonight is that we have to re-record 
new information about our identity onto the tape player. It's not something to go and hear at one time. It's not something to go and hear it a hundred times even. I mean, repetition is how you, how you put, I and mean, it's one way. It's one way that you put, a very powerful way that you put things on the tape player. But, but how many of us have really taken, have really made our union with God and making that a way of being? Something that we have actually spent time doing, like like we learn to drive a car. Because here's the thing about a conscious belief and a subconscious belief. See, subconscious beliefs are what manifest in our lives. They're what we really believe. This is what Jesus meant when he said, judge the tree by its fruit. Okay? Judge a tree by its fruit, meaning you can look around in your life and see what you actually believe. And so I'm sharing this today because I will tell you the Holy Spirit identity is, the Holy Spirit is is, is really coming after our broken self-image. He is coming after, I mean, what's the point of knowing the gospel if you do not live out out of the victory that Jesus has accomplished. What is the point? I mean, the point is the manifestation of the victory. The point is the experience of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's not, the gospel was never designed to be just a theoretical doctrine that we just were like parrots and we just, you know, we just, we just spout it off and then there's no evidence that Jesus actually is who he says he is in our lives. See, that is why signs and wonders are not optional. Because signs and wonders, healings and raising people from the dead and and, and doing the same works as Jesus are a a testimony that the kingdom of God is an actual reality. There is a reality, a spiritual reality of the victory of God. The rule and reign of Jesus Christ is not a theory, it's a reality. And I'm going to go back because um, I do this probably once a month. Once a month on the podcast, I feel like the Father brings me back to the word that he spoke over 2019. And it might just be the word for every year from now until the return of Jesus or we all go to be with Jesus. Because it is so foundational. And I, I read it usually about once once a month. And, you know, I think one of the things that we also are guilty of in the body of Christ is we're always looking for a new word. We're always looking for, you know, what's the right now rhema word of God? What's the rhema word of God? And we end up doing that because we're so unfocused. And we, when I say unfocused, I mean we aren't, we aren't, it's kind of like this. It's like you're eating a new meal before you let the last one digest. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so it's like we're just we're just blah, stuffing our face full of stuff and never giving ourselves the opportunity to actually digest what God is actually saying or what actually He needs to do in our lives. Like if we've been a Christian, and I'm I'm just I'm not doing this to condemn you at all. I'm just doing it because we need to hear it. If we've been a Christian for more than two years, I mean I still think that's pretty generous. I mean, I'd like to say if we've been a Christian for more than six months to a year. 
because I don't think it's that long of a process if, if we really work with the Holy Spirit and accomplish it. But if we've been a Christian for more than a couple of years and we're still struggling with our self-image and we still are not established in the reality that we are one with God and it is not based on anything we have done or haven't done. It is based on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. When Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, that was a declaration for the human race. We are crucified. Jesus was the propitiation for the entire world's sin. He's not going to go get re-crucified for Betty down the street when she believes. Okay? No, Betty, frankly, was already crucified with Christ too. She just doesn't know it. She hasn't heard the gospel. So Paul said, I'm crucified. I'm dead. The old Paul is dead. The old separated, alienated Paul is dead. He was He was crucified with Jesus. He was buried with Jesus. He rose. Jesus, I mean, the Bible's full of scriptures, you guys. This is crazy, this is crazy stuff. That his resurrection was our resurrection. We actually, a lot of us relate to like the end times and one day I'm going to die, then I'm going to be resurrected again, and then I'll be resurrected. No. Right now you're resurrected. You're glorified right now in your, in your body that still suffers the effects of the fall, in your unrenewed mind that still believes all kinds of nonsense, just because you aren't necessarily subconsciously in agreement with the gospel doesn't mean that it's not true about you. And so, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. He said this, though. He basically said, I'm a dead man. I mean, we said it so much, we don't even hear it. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I died with Jesus. Nevertheless, meaning somehow though, I'm still alive. I'm dead, but I'm alive. I'm dead, but I'm alive. Like, but that doesn't, I mean, like, what does this mean? I'm dead, but I'm alive. I'm dead, but I'm alive. I'm dead, but I'm alive. Okay. The self-image of who you have been trained trained to believe is you. If it is apart from Jesus, if it has any imperfection, if it has any unrighteousness whatsoever, it is a, it is a, it is a false you. And that you, dead. Nailed to the tree with Jesus. How? I don't know. I don't know. How were we crucified before we were born? I don't know. But we were. That's the gospel. And the word that I spoke in January, let me go back to my point here because I feel like I'm all over the place here, but hopefully it's making sense. The word that I spoke in January, I just am going to share it a little bit again because it, we forget. And if you don't listen to the podcast regularly, you know, you definitely forget. But here's what it says. It's really powerful. It says, in order to be truly successful in life, this word, I believe, is like the, it's like the secret of success in life. He said, according to be truly successful in life, my kids must live out of their true identity. They must live out of who they are in Christ. They must live out of the place where they are abiding in me. Not visiting. We're not visiting the Holy of Holies. 
We're abiding in there. We live there. Our home, we belong. Rejection has no place in Christ. Self-loathing has no place in Christ. Getting angry with yourself has no place in Christ. You are accepted in the beloved, unconditionally loved, unconditionally accepted, based upon Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which is the ultimate stamp of approval on, on humanity. It is the ultimate, I love you. I love you. While you were a sinner, while you were acting crazy, while you were molesting children, while you were doing the most atrocious things that have ever been committed against humanity, Hitler, you name it, Stalin, every evil that is beyond our ability to even stomach, Jesus, Jesus said, I Accept and love you. It's really, really, really radical. And it says, he says this, he says, this means, okay, what, that what? That you gotta live out of you who you really are. That you have to live out of it as a way of being. I mean, this is how you are. You don't, I mean, I'll tell you, when you, when it gets on that tape player, guys, your struggle to get up in the morning and like yourself is over. Your struggle when you get up in the morning because you messed up yesterday and you don't know how, you know, all you can see is what you did wrong. No, you're just going to forgive and move on. You're just going to be like, you know, that was out of character. I, I, I wasn't acting like who I really am. I forgive myself. I forgive myself. And then you just get right back on the business of being who you are. And it says this. Now, this is what it says. This is what the Lord said. He said, this means that each of them must stop identifying with their old self-image. The unregenerated me, the separated me, the alienated me, the independent me. We could call it, you know, for me, I'm adopted. The adopted me. We could call it the overweight me. We could call it the the stupid me. We could call it the rejected me, the abandoned me. We could call whatever label we have put on ourselves as a result of what we've experienced in our human life, we could say all those labels have got to go. Those labels have got to go. He says this, that me no longer exists. It's just a memory. It's just a memory of who you've experienced yourself to be over the course of your life. It's a program. Let me say it a different way. It's a program. It's a program. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so if you think in your heart that you're rejected, if you think in your heart that you're overweight, if you think in your heart that you're abandoned and worthless or whatever it is that you think, then guess what? That's what you're going to experience. You're going to experience abandonment. You're going to experience rejection. You're going to experience being overweight. You know, I I could do a whole quantum physics, quantum mechanic lesson on why that is. I mean, this is scientific. This isn't just good Bible scripture theology. This is excellent science. This is cutting-edge science. This is Einstein science. The Bible and Einstein agree that what we believe, what we think, specifically at a subconscious level, is what will manifest. And so he says this. He says, however, this memory of me, this program of me, who really no longer lives, 
must die in their minds. I mean, we got to crucify that self-image. We got to come after this separated you, and we we need to nail them, nail that one to the cross in our minds, in our experiences. We need to re-experience ourselves as who we really are. Because here's the reality: you can't identify with the old man and the new man at the same time. You can't focus on two things at the same time. We're not like lizards, you know. Aren't lizards like they can have one eye over here, it's like real creepy, and then the other eye is way over here, right? We're not lizards. We can't look at two things at one time. We have the ability to, to, to think on things that are lovely and pure and of good report, or we have, we have the ability to meditate on the wrong things, to focus on the wrong things. So we can't do it. It says you can't live joined to me and separated from me at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. It's like being pregnant, not pregnant. No, you're, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. See, union doesn't have an ounce of separation in it. The gospel is a very mutual exclusive message, right? You can't be, you know, it's like, it's a substitution type message. It's, it's a, you can't be, in union with Jesus, and then separated at the same time. You can't be righteous in Christ and self-righteous at the same time, right? Grace plus law equals law. Any little bit of self-righteousness makes it self-righteousness. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not your union plus anything. And this is an effortless union, by the way. This isn't something that you pump up in yourself into. This isn't something that you, you work up your prayers and become. It's something that you just, you just are aware of. It's literally a shift in awareness that says, oh yeah, I'm one with Jesus right now. Not based on anything that I've done or will do or haven't done or could never do. It's just a reality. It's a reality that is true right now. And this is what the word said. It says the state of abiding in Christ or being in union with Christ is the normal perpetual state of being for a believer, whether they are aware of it or not. Separation for me is always an illusion. And so what am I, what am I, am I saying? It's like I'm seeing the father with a scalpel in his hand and he is coming after it's like he's performing heart surgery. He's coming after this cancer. <laughs> this cancer that has invaded your heart and caused you to believe wrong things about yourself. You know, our foundational beliefs about ourselves are so foundational <laughs> for everything in our lives. It's not just about the foundation of what you believe about yourself. See, your foundation of what you believe about yourself, it, it, it governs your relationships with other people. Because as long as there is something wrong with you, let me just say it again, as long as there is something wrong with you, you are going to be on a quest to fix it. And the ways in which we 
are motivated to fix it are as varied as human beings. Some of us think it's going to be fixed, we'll be fulfilled, what's wrong with us will get right when we are successful. Some of us think what's wrong with us will get fixed when we find a spouse. Some of us think what's wrong with us will get fixed when we have children, or what's wrong with us will get fixed when we have X, X, and X, and X, or Y, and Z in our life. Happiness is always something that is elusive. It's something out here that if I can just grab onto this, then I'll be okay. And the reality of it is, is that in Christ you are okay. You're okay right now. And until we connect to that okayness internally and really believe it for ourselves, our relationship with every other thing in our life is selfish. It's selfish. We are motivated to get something out of it. We cannot give because we're coming from a place of lack and we're coming from a place of brokenness. You following what I'm saying? If you're on the on the podcast right now, say amen. I, I'll hear you in the spirit. And so what is that what is the what is the remedy for what ails us? What the remedy for what ails us is the gospel. The remedy for what ails us is an experiential union with Jesus. Now I tell this testimony a lot. It's my story, it's in my book, it's in my school, it's in everything that I do. It's the foundation really of my life. And truthfully, you have to realize where I was in my life before this experience. But, you know, before I surrendered my life to God, I'd been diagnosed with manic depression. I had all kinds of addictions. Uh, I was a very broken young lady. I had had a very broken life. And... It wasn't too long after I treat, and I grew up in church, so it's not like I didn't know the gospel or, you know, their version of the gospel, which is basically accept Jesus so you don't go to hell. That was pretty much, I mean, they didn't say it just like that, but that's the one sentence cliff notes of the way it was presented, right? Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he went to heaven, resurrected, went to heaven so that you could, you would be saved from hell. So believe in God, so you believe in Jesus so you don't go to hell. Super, super scary. <laughs> I was scared of hell, terrified of hell. So I, and I was very sin conscious, very, very aware my entire life of how I deserved hell. Because no matter how hard I tried to be good, I couldn't be good. At 15, I finally said, screw it, I'm going to stop trying. But up until that point, I was trying really, really hard. And you know, really, I learned really from the church that there was something wrong with me. And when you believe at a foundational level that something is wrong with you, and most people do believe it. Maybe they don't believe it like that. They just believe it. And maybe they don't even say it. Maybe they're not self-aware enough to say it. But I'll tell you, when you believe that, and you're running from that, and you, you act out of that identity in all kinds of ways to get it right. Some people act out by going to med school. Some people act out by becoming extremely, extremely successful. Because if I can just be successful, see, 
there won't be anything wrong with me. I was also really successful, making half a million dollars by the time I was 26. So I was massively broken and massively successful in one sense of the word. So by the time I, I really surrendered my life to God, it was kind of a last resort because, honestly, the Jesus of my youth was scary. He was a scary Jesus that, like, you know, you believe in him or you go to hell. Like, it's super manipulative, Jesus. Like, do what I say or burn in hell forever. Believe that I am who I say I am or you will be toasted in eternal damnation and burn in fire with everlasting torment forever. So what do you choose? Choose to believe in me or do you choose an everlasting torment, child? So I, Now, granted, I would not have articulated this as black and white as what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I'm a little older, a little wiser, have had lots of years to process it, lots of years to process what I was taught and what I've come out of and what I've detoxed from. Long, long, arduous process. But when I first surrendered my life to God, I was such a mess, and little by little, God was chipping away at this idea that he was that, you know, that scary Jesus. So when I surrendered, it was not very long at all. And I've shared it before, so if you've heard it, you've heard it, but that's okay, I'm going to say it again, because most likely you've heard it and you didn't do it. And until you do it, you're still going to suffer under the illusion of separation. But basically, he gave me a year-long meditation project out of one scripture. It was out of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verse 27 that says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, at the time, I was kind of under the impression that, you know, good Christians read their Bible through in a year. Like you got up and you did your daily devotion and you read your scripture and that's what you did. And so the idea that I was supposed to stick with one scripture for a whole year sounded super boring and not like a good, I mean, like I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do it. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit was helping me and he said, I want you to go stand in front of the mirror, Shalise. And I want you to stand there until you can see this scripture in your reflection. I knew nothing about the prophetic. I knew nothing about your spiritual senses. I didn't know my imagination was a way that the Holy Spirit spoke to us. I didn't understand Paul, you know, when he said, you know, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. I didn't know the eyes of my understanding was my imagination. I didn't know, I didn't know any of these things. So I was a little confused about standing in front of the mirror and seeing Christ in me. I thought with my physical eyes, I was going to like at some point like see Jesus or something. So I stood there for a bit. (laughs) And truthfully, when you stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself, that is a very powerful and it can be a very depressing and very upsetting experience, depending on what you believe about yourself. If you have a negative self-image and you stand and look at, you know, and you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't have good feelings about yourself, well, then it can be very painful. And so I think part of the exercise was just to confront what I thought about me, how I felt about me. And then secondly, a part of the exercise was to teach me to use my spiritual senses. So finally, he said, you know, I want you, and and again, I've said the story again, for those of you who heard it, I know I keep apologizing for it, but I I keep saying it because until until you get it, I'm going to keep saying it. One day, he said, you're going to use your imagination. He told me, he taught me, like, your imagination is is how you meditate. 
<laughs> you know, engage your imagination in meditation. Um, that when we imagine the scriptures, like when, you know, they're so visual anyway. Jesus taught in parables. So we're already a lot of times imagining when we read things. Like when you read Psalm chapter 1 and it says you're, you know, a tree planted by the streams of living water. I mean, we can't help but like see a tree by these streams of water. So pretty soon I was like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to like meditate means to like imagine the scripture. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I just started thinking, okay, Christ is in me. So how do I imagine that? So I started thinking about, well, Jesus is inside of me. He's inside of me. I, I couldn't see it, but I, I kind of was see, you know, thinking of it. And I was thinking about the Gospels and all the miracles Jesus did. And that's who lives in me. And this is awesome. But then I heard the Holy Spirit say, well, Shalise, that's great what you're doing. But it's not the full revelation. He said the Jesus that lives in you was not the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not the pre-cross Jesus. It's not the nice man walking down by the you know shores of Galilee doing the miracles. It's the resurrected Jesus, Shalice. So he took me over to Revelation chapter 1, <laughs> and he showed me the real scary Jesus. Because in Revelation chapter 1, if you go and read it, it talks about a Jesus that has a face that shines like the sun, whose hair is white as wool whose eyes are flames of fire, who have a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He was so incredibly scary that when John saw it, he, he fell down like he was dead. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. He said, it is I. It's I who was alive, who died, and is alive forevermore. And he said, and I hold the keys of hell and death. So this Jesus, that Jesus, was the one that the Father and Holy Spirit said, that's the one that lives inside of you. He said, see it. Again, I wasn't quite sure what to see it, but eventually I began to kind of imagine, like, my eyes are flames of fire. It's kind of morphing, kind of like we see in, you know, special effects in the movies. Or now I'm like Jesus with, like, you know, white hair, and it's just... And I began to really see it. And you know what? Seeing it was an experience. And guess what? Every time I saw it, every time I meditated on it, I was writing a new program on my subconscious mind. And I was beginning to believe it. And it was this time in my life that also really crazy things started to happen. I lived in downtown Chicago at the time, and so all of a sudden I had a street ministry. I didn't even mean to have a street ministry. But let me say, when scary Jesus is walking down the street, things begin to happen. And the same kind of experiences that we read about in the Gospels began to happen to me. Heroin addicts would come up to me at gas stations. Just I'd be in my car, and they would come and knock on my window. And I'm like, you know, again, if I was separated Shalice self-identity, you know what you do? Lock your windows, lock the door, lock the door, right? Speed off. Some weirdos up at my door. But not with scary Jesus. You know what I did? It was cold, I remember. So I rolled down my window. He said something to me. I put out my hand, touched him, fell out of the spirit, and got delivered. I would go into the south side of Chicago, because I kind of had this whole ministry that opened up by these crazy experiences that started happening. There's this crack addict named Alice who I got introduced to, and she kind of opened up the south side of Chicago for me. And so I would walk over into these houses, Alice's friends and these things that I'd walk into, and they would all go into seizures. I didn't do anything. I just came. I just showed up. I just walked into the house, but I didn't walk in. 
scary Jesus walked in? How was the spirit realm manifesting this? You know why it was manifesting that? Because it was had been programmed at a subconscious level. You know, if you really do study quantum physics, it basically the rule of quantum physics is is that everything is energy. E equals mc squared. It means that matter and energy are interchangeable. They're equal things. Matter is what is solid. Energy, it's particles. Energy is waves. But according to quantum physics, energy and matter are interchangeable. And what that means is, that's why when we say the table is solid, it's not actually solid. It's an illusion of solidness. It's an illusion that happens because as physical beings, our eyesight is designed to see reality through a very specific filter. There are waves running through wherever you're sitting right now that you cannot perceive. They are absolutely there, but they are invisible to your physical senses. There are gamma rays. There are x-rays. There are radio waves. They are TV frequencies. There are all kinds of invisible waves. going. We cannot judge just by our, our spiritual, I mean, just by our physical senses. And so what I'm saying is, is that there was a spiritual reaction. There was an energy level, <laughs> spirit level, invisible level reaction to what was happening when I showed up as who I really am. And I'm saying that until you know who you really are at a subconscious level, then you will continue to experience a natural, normal life. But when you know who you are, everything starts to change. And, and, and beloved, this is the legacy that we owe. We owe the planet. We don't owe the planet a religious sermon. We don't owe the planet judgment about how they're acting because they freaking don't know who they are. Heck, we don't even know who we are. No, what we owe the planet is a manifestation of the sons of God. I will tell you, when you live out of your true identity, your being is a sermon. You think I had to show up in that? Did I have to, did, what did I have to do in that place where everybody's manifesting just because I showed up? Over and over again, you saw Jesus just show up. He just showed up. The demons would run up to him. Ah, have you come to torment us? Pretty soon, him showing up caused everybody to start showing up. The sticks started showing up. Everybody started showing up. And all he started doing was being who he was. And the signs and wonders convinced everybody that he was who he was. And the words that he spoke, because he didn't speak of his own accord. He spoke the words that the Father was saying. He was living in union with the Father. And I, when I say living, I mean being. And you know how we know who Jesus knew who he was? Because when he came out of the baptismal pool, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son and who I am well pleased. And then he went 40 days and 40 nights, led by the Holy Spirit, into the identity test. Okay, the wilderness was the identity test. Do you know who you are? 
Do you know who you are? That, and that way I tell you, you will be in the wilderness until you know who you are. There's no way into experiencing the promised land. What's the promised land? It's heaven. It's heaven on earth. It's heaven right now. And you know how you experience it? By knowing who you are. And every accusation that the enemy came with, do, do, are, if you are the son of God, you're not the son of God. Prove it. Prove. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Jesus didn't have to prove it. He didn't have to prove it. You know what? He knew it. And all he did was be it. He went right out of the wilderness into the synagogue and literally read from Isaiah chapter 61 and said, this day are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because I am anointed. He knew exactly who he was. And so he wasn't... Yes, he was preaching, but he was just, you know what the kingdom of God is like? He was just explaining spiritual realities and demonstrating them. Explain, demonstrate, teach, preach, and demonstrate. And so these tapes have got to be replaced with an understanding. And, you know, in Christ, there's neither male, there's never female, there's not Greek, there's not Jew. I mean, there, it's, it's spirit. It's pure, perfected spirit. God is spirit. (laughs) He is spirit. And in Christ, there is complete freedom. And that accusation, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And I will tell you, that is really the battle for the believer. I mean, it is really summed up in that idea because the enemy has no power he truly is the accuser of the brethren and what he is doing is trying to accuse us of being someone we're not over and over again and here's the problem with that is that you know what some of the accusations are kind of true (laughs) you know and some of them are just straight up true like you know what you did lose your temper (laughs) <laughs> you did act like a jerk. You did, you know, whatever, slap your sister. <laughs> you did you did cuss out your neighbor, whatever. You did act like a jerk. And so we think, oh, yeah, yes, so. But Romans 8, when it says there's no condemnation, there's no guilty verdict for them that are in Christ Jesus, it means that no matter, even if the accusation is true, it's completely irrelevant. You know why? Because there's no more judge and jury. There's no more court. There's no more law. How can you actually prosecute someone when there aren't laws? Like what law did you break? The accuser, ultimately, the answer to the accuser, let me tell you the answer to the accuser. The answer to the accuser is your union with God. Because every accusation is an accusation against a you that is separated from Christ. That is a very, very powerful revelation. I'm going to say it one more time. Every accusation is an accusation against you, a you that is separated from Christ. Now, by the way, these accusations don't just come in our minds. 
They come in our minds, but they come from well-meaning people as well. Okay? They come from people that reject you. They come from people that no longer talk to you. They come from people that are in relationship with you based upon the way that you act or don't act. They base upon, they, 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 the accusations come based upon a conditional system of love. If you act a certain way, then we're good. But if you act another way, we're not. And so the accusations come in real life too. Do you know that your bank account, if you don't have an extreme amount of abundance in your bank account right now, did you know that that bank account is an accusation? That bank account is an accusation that you're poor. But guess what? In Christ, are you poor? No, in Christ. Wait, no. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says Jesus Christ is the lawful owner of all things. He's the king of kings. He, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of thereof. The gold is mine. The silver is mine. So how rich are you in Christ? So your bank account, if it's low or not super abundant, when you look at that and you, you know what, let me know what, it's an accusation. And then there's all kinds of accusations that come from money. There's accusations that come from your health. When you have a symptom in your body, it's an accusation. You're sick. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of accusations against us all the time. And the remedy for it is to go hide in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. Go hide. Hide. We overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony. What's the word of our testimony? Listen here, jerk. I'm in Christ. Who are you talking to? You're gonna to get to me, you're gonna to have to, you're gonna to have to, you're gonna to have to dig inside of Jesus. I'm hidden in here. You can't even see me. Right? We're hidden in Christ. And I'll say this the moment you get the revelation of that union with God, every accusation falls off. It has no power over you. In fact, you stand in power and you say, listen here, bank account, you need to manifest the abundance of Jesus. Poverty is a curse. You're illegal. Lack is illegal. And when you know that at a subconscious level, it's a completely different life. So as I wrap up tonight, what am I saying? I'm saying that this is your life blood. This is your, this is the foundation of your life. Your identity is everything. It is everything. And until you really get established in the truth, it's going to feel like a fight, a fight with yourself, a fight with others. It's going to feel like a fight. See, you being in Jesus means you have to make peace with yourself. You don't get to not like you. Because why? You have no independent opinion. You either agree with God or you agree with the liar. There's only two choices here. You don't have an opinion of yourself. It's either God's opinion or it's the father of lies opinion. There's no you there's, there's dark and light, and dark is the absence of light. It's either you're on the side of the truth or you're on the side of the lie. Either you are righteous or you're not. So we got to settle it. I don't like myself. Well, that self isn't even you. Why don't you get to know the real you? You might like her. You might like him. Jesus does. The Father does. Heaven does. All of creation recognizes you. 
They seem to be pretty excited about your manifestation. Maybe you've got a wrong idea about who you are. Maybe you actually are everything that you wish you were. I don't know about you, but that's good news. And so in this hour, I just I said it earlier, the Father is doing heart surgery. And he's coming after the roots. The roots that have been planted in your heart that have sprung up and produced a wrong self-image. So those lies are being replaced by the truth. And let me tell you, it's really not that hard. Programming yourself is not that hard. I mean, it's hard in a sense like, you know, developing a new habit is hard. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard. But once it becomes a habit, how hard is it? Not. You don't think about it ever again. And so it's just, it's meditation. It's it's getting into the truth and and getting it down inside of you with the help of the Holy Spirit, letting him give you new visions and new new um, ways to speak. And so, Father, I just released tonight uh, a transfiguration. I release a manifestation of our true identity in Christ. And Father, you have (laughs) the ability to supernaturally renew our minds. I'm thinking about Saul on the road to Damascus and how just that one encounter with Jesus blinded him to his old life and woke him up to who he was. And how his revelations in the third heaven, Father, completely transformed his life. And so I'm releasing a revelation tonight, Father. I'm releasing encounters with the truth. I'm releasing revelation that sets us free from a false identity, God. Give us really simple instructions, God. Help us connect with this message in a way that changes our identity, that changes our minds at a subconscious level, that renews our minds, God. And help us focus. Help us focus on this project, (laughs) this this mind renewal project, Father, that you are our identity, that Jesus Christ is our identity. And, Father, from that place of truth, we will produce more fruit without any effort than a lifetime, than lifetimes of effort would produce. So I bless us, Father, as we enter into this week. I just declare, Father, that this is, this is a time of transfiguration. This is a time of what is true becoming visible first to us and then first and then right after that to others i bless us father i bless us with the grace that is needed to experience the truth of who we are in you in jesus name amen well as always, I just tell everyone that if you are listening to this podcast and it's blessing you and God is speaking to you through these podcasts, you know what? Head on over to Shalise.com, support the podcast, support the ministry. 
We've got listeners all over the world uh, because of your generous support. So, uh, you know, it's so into this message, so into what we are doing and the lives that are being transformed through this podcast. And then always, as always, if you haven't downloaded my book, go to www. It's called The Path. But go to www.thepathfreebook.com. You can download a copy of the ebook there. Um, of course, you can get a, a paperback over at Amazon. Uh, but when you download the free book, you'll also be invited to schedule what we call a breakthrough session with me and my team. And I'll tell you, these sessions are powerful. Uh, the team and I operate in an incredible, I think it's an amazing, an amazing gift, an amazing um, anointing to really help you see who you are. Uh, we help you see not only who you are in Christ, but we can help you discern your purpose and why you are here on the planet. And so if you are at all struggling with your purpose, download the book, The Path, schedule a breakthrough call with me and my team, and let us help you. Uh, organize your life around your purpose and your relationship with God and uh, pray with you about your journey and what's next. We love you. We believe in you. We support you. And we know that God has divinely connected our paths, uh, which is why we call it the path. So I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your support. And thank you for listening to the podcast. God bless you.